1: Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Oh my gosh how great is this space Sunshine in. it's looking great so firstly i mean i'm so excited to be here thanks everyone for joining for this very special live recording of the power hour podcast i'm so happy to be here and of course thank you to the treehouse hotel in london for hosting us so when i started this podcast more than four years ago i had one thing in my mind and that was essentially to inspire, to motivate and to encourage ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. Since then, I have interviewed more, almost 250 people, different guests, smart thinkers, pioneers, innovators, Olympic athletes, some of which I can see in the room today, business founders, international superstar DJs, reformed criminals, professional footballers, every single week on the podcast is different. And I just feel, I don't know, I've got an introduction. I don't need to read that. (laughs) I feel so lucky that I get to facilitate these conversations every week because I know that they are conversations that help to inspire people to take action in their lives. And that is really what the Power Hour is all about. So when people say that, maybe some people say they listen to the show for, uh, to, get, to learn about productivity or success or motivation. And of course, that is great. But for me, it is about taking action listening to people's stories, listening to these incredible guests, how have they approached risk? How do they overcome challenges? How have they faced inevitable failures in life? And what are the tools, the habits, the frameworks that they use that us ordinary people can use as well in our lives? So that's what the show is all about. It's about waking up and thinking, what is going to get me out of bed today? What is the impact that you want to have? Who can you learn from and who can learn from you? Because I think for a lot of people, figuring out, they might have a passion, they might, I think everyone has a passion or an idea or an energy, but I think figuring out what to do with it is often the challenge and figuring out, okay, which of my skills have utility? And then do I have the courage to pursue my passion? so that's what it's all about and as many of you probably know i've also worked in the well-being industry for more than 10 years so that is an industry that has changed a lot in that time and it's no longer i think the conversation around wellbeing is no longer just for uh, you know the gym goers the runners the the yogis the uh, elite and the, and the athletes but it's actually become a conversation for everybody to all think about and to consider how our physical health our emotional health our mental health how important and impactful that is for every single thing and how now with everything that I do linking it all together from whether I'm delivering a keynote to an organization whether I'm working with a startup whether I'm working with a big company whether I'm doing this podcast whether I'm writing a book what links it all together essentially is that passion for people for helping people to to live well, to feel good, to have the energy to do all the things that they want to do, to pursue their passion, and to essentially showcase that it is possible. So as I said, for ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. And of course, for us to all learn. And someone who I know that we can all learn a lot from is my guest today, the incredible Simon Friedrich. Now I am going to use this so I get it all right. Because there's so much that I could say about Simon. Simon, uh, he is a self taught artist, photographer, filmmaker, and broadcaster. Simon's career has been punctuated by first, so he is truly a pioneer. And when we use that word, pioneer, we hear it often you know, everybody's a pioneer now, but actually, being a true pioneer, being the first to do something, is not an easy thing to do because change does not come without challenge. So he is a true pioneer. Simon made appearances in front of the camera for Sky Arts as the lead judge in their European series, Master of Photography, which he co-hosted with Hollywood royalty, Isabella Rossellini. He conceived, produced, and directed the award-winning, hold the mic, award-winning series, Black is the New Black for BBC. With the portfolio of portraits he shot of his subjects during the filming of that show, making history as the largest acquisition of of African Caribbean sitters by the National Portrait Gallery, becoming part of the gallery's permanent collection. He has been named one of the UK's 100 most influential black people. So please join me in welcoming Simon Friedrich. (laughs) My bit over. <laughs> now it's all about you. Oh dear. Firstly, thank you for joining us. I'm so so glad to have you here.
2: Uh, thank you for asking me. This is a um, uh, different <laughs> different way of spending a Friday morning. Um, nice to meet you all.
1: Well, Simon, the reason I want to start off firstly, I guess, directing the focus to you, is because I think people will know so much about your work, but I hope that after this interview, after today, they'll also know a lot about you as well. So my first question for you is, what words would your closest friends and family use to describe you?
2: It's funny, I asked my family this question over the last week as you sent some of the questions through. Uh, they laughed a lot. <laughs> um, some people would say that I'm stubborn. Um, some people would say that I am silly, depending on who that is. Probably the, the kids. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of people would say that I'm driven.
1: Yeah, I like to ask that question because I think what your closest friends and family say about you is often true and might not be the things that other people know. So, were there any significant pivotal moments in your life that set you on that creative path to photography and filmmaking?
2: Oh yeah, definitely Um, I think that the biggest pivotal moment really was, and and I didn't know at the time, I think it was uh, my mother taking me to uh, the National Portrait Gallery age 10 Um, so, you know I am, believe it or not, 58 years of age, so I was born in
1: 1965 Wow, yes shock, (laughs) gasp whoa (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, that, that's the other thing. Yeah, my skincare line comes out next. No, I'm not joking. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was born in 1965, so, you know, in, in the 1970s, uh, although we, we grew up in Shepherd's Bush, which is only down the road, you know, it was very much a case of um, the black community in the area uh, saying to my mum, you know, it's like, don't take the kids up the West End, they don't like us going up there. Um, but my mum was was very stubborn, as is my dad. Uh, and uh, she really wanted us to have an open mind of the world and to see the world and have a different perspective. So she took me to she used to take us to lots of museums and things like that. But um, the National Portrait Gallery, I don't know why, had a profound effect on me. I went there. Uh, I don't know what it is about portraits of dead people. <laughs> um, but I, I kept gravitating back to the place. And this was long before I even, you know, I always drew. Uh, as a kid, I, I I always had a pencil in my hand, a notebook. Uh, my dad would always take it away from me and give me a book and say, boy, you should be reading instead. My mum would always give me back the notebook and pencil. Um, so, yeah, that I think that was the pivotal moment. But the other pivotal moment was going to uh, my grandmother's house in Grenada. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was about, probably about 11, uh, 10 or 11. And uh, when I walked into the house, there were framed pictures that I had made. My mum had sent the pictures, my grandmother had them framed, and they were up on the, on the wall in the house. And I think that really was a pivotal moment for me.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it, how sometimes those moments that maybe for your grandma you know framing her grandson's artwork she probably never realized actually the the impact that that could could have for you and creativity is something that you know we've talked about a little bit before and something that I really wanted to talk to you a lot about and I didn't really know where to start with this but I think maybe something I've been thinking about myself is that we often talk about creativity as being a personality trait. You know, it's something that we either are or we aren't just like, you know, being an extrovert or being confident. People say, oh, this person's really creative, or they're not. Whereas I, I think it's far more useful to think of creativity as a skill and something that we can all learn, we can all practice, we can all um, express our creativity in different ways if we're given the opportunity to do so. So what, how do you think about creativity? Do you believe it's something that you kind of innately have or is it something you can, you can nurture in anybody?
2: Um, that's a difficult question. Um, I think for me, I've always been creative. I think it's always been the thing that has been the, the the blood that runs through my veins, um, you know, it's it's like when I'm not being creative, I've never done drugs. That's the truth. Um, but I feel like when I'm not being creative, when I I feel there's an, a need to be creative that I feel surging through my body like it's my lifeblood. Can creativity be nurtured? I'm not sure. I think you have to have a talent and a passion for it. And why I say that is because, you know, we work in a creative industries. We work with clients a lot. Uh, and a lot of the time you get certain clients who um, are commissioning the work but don't have the sensibility to actually understand the work that you're doing. So they commission you. Uh, they see your work. They understand what it is you do. But then there's, uh, I always call it, the, uh, the creative gap. And that's the gap between them commissioning you, spending a lot of money, and then the gap is the bit where they don't understand what it is you're doing, your process. So then they fill that gap with very strange questions uh, about, you know, which is really based on their insecurity. Oh, my God. You know, it's like, are you going to really mess up uh, on my watch? You know, it's like, well, no, my you've seen my my back catalog of work. Uh, and this happens with a lot of creatives, with where you have that that difficult relationship sometimes with with clients that you that you haven't worked with before, where they're you know really kind of struggling with the uncertainty of what your result is going to be. So I I, I mention that because basically I think it's it's really a good point to to say that maybe. Maybe I'm talking myself into the fact that I don't think that creativity can be nurtured, that it's a skill set that some people have. I I see creativity as problem-solving. So, yeah.
1: Yeah I think the ultimate encourager in me is like yes everyone can do it all but I do yeah there'd be some things whether it's creativity whether it's you know being a parent as well I think teaches you that you know that you might want some people might want their child to be academic or they might want them to be sporty or they might want them to be creative and actually sometimes you've got to accept it you know you've got to say there's some things they've got and some things they haven't got it you know they haven't got it.
2: <laughs> no I mean it's it, it, it's funny I mean I think I'm, I'm lucky. I think all my children are creative. Um, you know, uh, my uh, my eldest daughter, uh, who's uh, just given birth to uh, a little girl uh, called Melody. Uh, so I'm a granddad as well. Um, and um, hot granddad, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I can't believe I just said that.
1: Everybody was thinking It's fine. <laughs>
2: Oh dear! My wife is gonna kill me. <laughs> 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 okay, all right. Okay, <laughs> um, it's not that type of show. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, all my kids are creative. Um, as I say, my my oldest daughter works in in the company, and you know it's uh, she has you know kind of grown up being on set with me, you know, working as like a an assistant in the background and stuff like that. But just sitting in the edit suite and her seeing things in the edit and I kind of look back and go, wow, like she's got that eye. But my three year old markings on the street um, that are innocuous to most people, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, workmen who are, you know, marking, you know, the position of the drains or where the you know, where the lines of the the cables are gonna go. Um, you know, she looks at it and she goes, oh, there's art. So she sees it everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why I just told you that, but. <laughs> no, it's,
1: it's, it's very interesting. And when you were talking before about, you know, that kind of gap in and um, between being commissioned and that kind of understanding of creativity, it also made me think that, You speak with such conviction and confidence, and I feel like that trust that you know what you're going to do and you know that what you're going to create is going to be great and you're kind of having to, I suppose, maybe ignore or block that out. But do you think that's come now as you are as you say in your 50s and you have that confidence because i think for a lot of creative people myself included you might think okay this is it this is the idea this is this is what it is but then those outside voices of, of maybe criticism or people saying oh is that quite right or the pressure that you might feel from others can be very debilitating for creativity and you can actually think start to question yourself and and really yeah how do you how do you cultivate that trust and confidence to know actually even if again being pioneering doing something differently or doing something your way how do you trust that it is going to work out well and that those silence and those critics it might they might have been right and actually my idea might be terrible
2: it's a great question um there's, there's this thing where you have to you have to trust and understand where your where your level of taste resides you know? um there's those um uh, talent shows where people go on it and they go, you know i 'm a great singer, and they can 't sing a note to save their lives, yeah, but the people around you should have told you that you can 't sing
1: <laughs> who yeah? has yeah who's let you go on this show
2: yeah who's let you go on this <laughs> show yeah who's deluded you all your life yeah but at the same time there there is a case where you as a creative you're showing people around you okay I want to paint this I'm an abstract painter I want to paint this I want to do that and they're not understanding it either so then you're kind of like left on your own to make up your own mind whether or not this baby that you are creating because I call all creative endeavors babies yeah because you give birth to them you you literally do you spend hours you dream them up you spend hours refining them and refining them again and you become almost like a scientist where you're constantly refining and refining and refining what, what, uh, what you do. And, um, uh, and there was a book, I can't remember the, uh, uh, I think his name is Adam Grant actually.
0: a big uh, fan of Adam Grant. Yeah, yes.
2: Think Like a Scientist. And I remember reading that and it was like, okay, this thing that I was thinking is not madness, it's actually fact, yeah? Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think he has a phrase where he says, uh, "Why do we never question the things that we that we have heard?" Yeah, I question everything. I remember members of my team going, "You know, it's like if he's asking lots of questions, it's because basically uh, he's trying to refine it down to the essence of where this thing resides, so that when we go go out and we take it out and we're explaining it, it lands." That, that your aha moment becomes everyone else's aha moment. And I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, I'm a big Adam Grant fan as well, and I love yeah he, the way he approaches this rethinking and think again and yeah question and every option. You know, look at all the options and yeah. I think I think if more people could apply that as well, talking about creativity, but to other areas of their life, to be able to reimagine, to rethink is is really important. All right, I want to talk to you about success. Sorry, now. sorry, just on, on
2: just on that note, it's it, it's it's really important because um, we're in. We're in kind of like a state of flux politically around the world at the moment, and you know it's like a lot of the time. Uh, and, and I sat on a government committee for the, for the Windrush, uh, creating this Windrush memorial that's now in Waterloo Station. And I remember dealing with politicians and thinking, "This is really sad because um, to problem solve, you need to be able to think creatively." To be able to see another perspective, or be able to challenge your own thinking, and actually see outside of the box in order to to come up with a new solution. Um, so for me, I think that creativity isn't just about you know the art. I, I think it applies to anything and everything, and in particular politics that affects you know people's lives.
1: Yeah, the willingness. To, as you said, see it from another viewpoint, and um, yeah, and being willing to change your mind. So, linked to creativity, in, in I want to talk to you about success. Now, it's a big word, and I think I believe success is something that. A lot of people, most people are probably trying to achieve in whatever they are pursuing. Um, And we each have to define our own version of what success is. And ultimately, that will help us to set goals. You know, I talk a lot about setting personal and professional goals and how once you know what success is for you, you can then make better decisions and and you can know that what you're doing is, is aligned. But the paradox of creative success is, I think, when the more success you have, the more success is expected of you. The more you achieve, the more you are expected to achieve. And so whether that's self-imposed, again, speaking from experience, or whether it's other people's expectations upon you, how do you approach that as someone who's had a lot of incredible creative success? How do you then go, okay, what's, you know, people will say, what's next? How do you then sit down with a blank canvas or, you know, a new idea with that weight and pressure of your previous success?
2: again another really good question um yeah success um and the expectation of success um i was i was telling you downstairs about um the the woman who wrote eat pray love uh, and she did this wonderful uh talk and in the talk she was saying that uh she was writing a new book and people were saying to her you know it's like aren't you afraid that you're second book won't be as successful as your first book? Like, you know, like, aren't you afraid that you're simply not going to be as successful as you were before? And, and she was like, well, my dad's an engineer. And no one ever said to him, you know, Bob, you know, it's like, are you afraid that you're not going to be uh, as good an engineer as you were last week and this week? So, you know, when it comes to creativity, in fact, sports, creativity, entertainment, you know, you're only as good as your seemingly your last kick of the football uh, or your last uh, show that you made um, or your last exhibition. Um, And that's quite strange for me because uh, I think that it's about building on those successes and moving forward. Um, So our success is measured in very, very strange ways. But what happens is, is that I think for a lot of creative people, uh, they measure themselves by that outside uh, measurement um, instead of um, really understanding who they are and measuring themselves by by their own terms. And I, and I say that I mean it's it's like it took it took um, lying in a hospital bed with cancer um, when I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017, uh, and then um, being told. Uh, in May of 2019 that um, if I didn't have my bladder removed because I had bladder cancer that I was not going to live for another three months so it was literally laying in bed after you know that operation where they woke me up from an induced coma uh, and lying in bed then and thinking you know it's like can I swear on this? You can swear. Right okay. (laughs) You know, I, I, I lay there and I was like, because the, the pressure of maintaining success had made me sick. Yeah? The stress of, of trying to live up to other people's expectations and not having any expectations for myself made me ill. You know, sitting in front of a working up idea, sitting in front of a computer screen for 18 hours a day straight Mm. yeah not going to have a wee not eating you know Mm. just relentlessly working you know sat down you know and doing that for months on end yeah had its toll on my body Mm. uh and you know the stress of like i said other people's expectations Mm. had a toll on my body so in that moment you know, um, uh, and there's a long story of you know how I got through all of the the treatments and everything else, and you know going to hypnotists and to get my you know sports scientists and everyone else to get my mind uh, ready to go through not only the operation but the the long recovery afterwards. Um, but. I remember waking up and thinking, shit, I'm motherfucking Simon Frederick.
1: Yes! (laughs) You know,
2: it's like, I know who I am. I know what I do. I know, you know, I've already made a name for myself. Mm. What am I chasing? Mm. Yeah, what am I I actually chasing? Mm. From that moment, my perspectives completely changed about the work that I do, how I do the work, um, who I do the work for, Who I work with, who I allow into my life, Um, all of these things completely changed.
1: Wow. And uh, yeah, at what cost is what I was thinking, because it's incredibly powerful to hear you say that. And I think sadly, so many people, they will know, you know, I can tell people when they hear what you're saying, they're like, yeah, you know, working the relentless hours or, you know, staying up looking at screens or not having a break. And whether it's in the creative field or whether it's in a corporate setting, whether it's that feeling of pressure that, you know, I have to deliver this and I have to deliver this and constantly going relentless, relentless, relentless. And I feel it, you know, everyone, you see those people who nod their head because they know, yeah, I do that as well. And sadly, until it comes to, a breakpoint. so whether it is a cancer diagnosis, whether it's a brain hemorrhage or stroke, um, sometimes, uh, you know, real burnout, real burnout, not, you know, we'll talk about burnout now as if it's just being tired on a Friday, but real burnout, which is severe exhaustion, you know, your nervous system is is shot, your adrenal glands are, you know, you can't function essentially. And it's sad that so many people, you know, it gets to that before we're able to say, okay, I need to change, I need to make a change. So. For anyone listening to this either now or when the show goes out who's thinking yeah actually that is me you know i'm relentlessly trying to pursue something either for themselves for that pressure that they've put on themselves or for other people or they might even say sometimes well adrian simon i hear what you're saying but right now this is the circumstances you know i've got this job i've got kids i've got commitments i can't change my lifestyle but, of course, if something like that happens, they, they'll be forced to. So no, what if would you they, say if to they, them?
2: If they hear what I've said, the, the, the optimum word here is stop. Just stop. Yeah? Go take a walk. Yeah? Uh, drink water. Right? Eat some food. Right? Call somebody. Yeah? Call somebody you haven't spoken to in a long, long time. Yeah? Just do that. Yeah? But stop.
1: And I think I mentioned before, you know, obviously I've worked in the wellbeing industry for a long time and I'm glad to see that that conversation is, especially now thinking in thinking the corporate world, people are really looking and saying, okay, we've got to take care of our employees because essentially, you know, what is work, what is productivity, it's it's the human element, it's the people that are here. So if they don't feel good, if they don't have energy, if they can't be creative and communicate well, if they're not engaged, if they don't want to come into this space, then you can't, of course, get the best out of them. So I think the corporate world is maybe waking up to this. I think certain industries definitely are. But I actually think the creative industries might be the last to actually embrace. I think it's this idea that creativity comes at a cost and that, of course, to create something wonderful, whether you go for days in a studio, like you say, you know, no sleep and and, and no eating. Some people it might be it might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be whatever keeps them in that creative flow or makes them feel as though they can be that version of themselves i think yeah maybe well-being isn't on the agenda or priority for them at all
2: yeah uh, though like i said before it's um and and i use this phrase a lot uh, people abdicate their responsibility to take care of whatever it is you asked me a question earlier on about about um about creativity and ideas and things like that Uh, how do you manage to uh, to, you know, maintain that idea when other people are questioning it, yeah? Uh, you know, it's like, I think people abdicate their responsibility to look after their baby. <laughs> it's your child, you've refined it, all these things, yeah? Um, you There's no one that knows your idea better than you, yeah? So, you know, even when you walk into an ivory tower of this powerful organization that you want to work with... Um, know, and they go. Well, I'm not sure about the idea. Should we change it slightly? Uh, no. <laughs> what do you know that I don't know? You know, it's like I've spent years refining this thing, and you're telling me that you know better than me. How? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So it, it's things like that. It's 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 um, it's being in charge of. Uh, those things help you be in charge of your well-being, yeah, because the, the thing about the creative industries is there's a lot of creatives. It's an it's a insular industry. You're isolated. You're working on your own mainly. You're, you're working in small teams or small groups, and then you're going out into the wider world and showing people this work, uh, and that comes with a lot of insecurity. And as human beings, you know, one of the things that we all carry around with us is insecurity, uh, and there comes a point where you have to kind of, like, you know, squash the insecurity, walk with your head held high, uh, take your work with you, uh, and be proud of your work. Uh, and I, I remember years ago, I was living in Portugal, and I was working for Getty Images, and um, they, were, uh, they were like, look, you're over in Portugal, and, you know, the clients really like you, and we can make a hell of a lot more money out of you if we move you to new york and i was like okay look i'll go to new york if i can shoot advertising and they were like cool as you can tell i can talk so they were like look you know you can go over there uh, and you know we're not going to send any reps with you we'll set up the appointment to go to by yourself and i remember i went to see this uh ad agency big expensive ad agency in fifth avenue It's to you know it's like creative duo and this duo was uh, a white guy and a black guy, uh, really stylish guys. I was there with my photography portfolio. I put it down, and I'm going through it, and I'm being typically British, you know, self-deprecating. Yeah, you know, I did this, and you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, oh, thank you. It's really nice of you to say so. And the black guy was walking up and down in the background, and I could feel his agitation. And I didn't understand why he was agitated with me. So after about 10 minutes, I I turned back and I said, excuse me, um, do you have a problem with me? And he goes, no, well, dude, you know, it's like, your work is like some of the best work we've seen in this agency for a long time. But man, you need to bring yourself up to the level of your work. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm... Uh, lessons. Gold. Gold. <laughs> I'm taking it all. <laughs> Speaking of your work, let's talk about the outsiders. So... This is a YouTube original series, a six part series featuring young black talent, authors, athletes, artists, entrepreneurs, performers. And as a person of color, I'll be honest, when I watched the series, I had so many mixed emotions, so many mixed emotions, especially the first, the first and the second episodes. And I think there were a lot of things I could relate to, but also a lot of things that I will be honest, I'd forgotten about maybe intentionally, things that I'd chosen to forget about. So watching people, some that I knew, some that I knew well, and some that I didn't know, but watching these incredible people share their vulnerability, share their stories, and just, just share their experiences was really, really powerful. So can you tell us a bit about The Outsiders and what it was like creating that series with so many of those incredible people?
2: Um, so it created The Outsiders uh, because... Uh my children are Gen Zs, uh, and I think they're brilliant. Um, I think that they are really at the forefront of what I call the the third uh, industrial revolution, um, which is basically creating careers out of nothing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, using social media uh, as a way of uh, using you know, uh, half of them don't even know these terms, quantitative and qualitative research, you know, constantly refining and changing and uh, and putting things out there uh, for their audiences to like and engage with and testing it all the time and building on that. I mean, it's like, it's incredible. They're still not teaching kids in school today, you know, um, that this is a career path, and it clearly is. Um, so, I wanted to make something in particular for for black youth as well because, you know, it's, it's different for black kids. Um, you know, it, the, you, I have a lot of people, uh, especially when I was on television doing master photography, you know, they'd say to me, um, you know, it's like, I love your work, but why do you talk about the black stuff? And it's like, well, I'm black. <laughs> you know, it's like... That's the way I'm always going to see the world through the eyes of a black man because I'm a black man. I'm not talking about difference for the sake of talking about difference. But the fact of the matter is, is that as human beings, we are all different and we all see the world differently. The one thing that I know as as an image maker, as a photographer, is that if I gave everyone in this room a camera and told them to take the picture of this wonderful view, everyone's pictures would look different because of the way we hold the camera or whatever. Just the way that we see the world is different. So the way that I see the world may be different to the way that somebody else sees the world. It's different from the way that a white man will see the world.
1: And the way the world sees you. And the,
2: and, and, and the way the way that the world sees me is always the way that informs it because I know that wherever I go in the world as a black man, I'm going to be judged until people... until Uh, People hear my voice until I greet someone and then everything changes. So that's always a perspective from where I see the world. And that's a perspective that I wanted to start telling the story of the outsiders because I was hearing, you know, young black people who are absolutely, you know, um, fantastic, intelligent, um, inspirational, you know, that I've learned a lot from. Uh, telling stories still that, you know, were, were the stories that defined my career. And I was like, no, this, this stuff still can't be happening. But it's, it's changed for them. It's not the same, you know, for me as it is for them now. Things have changed for them. But I wanted to show them, you know, that there is a route map, that there is a path, that they are breaking moulds. Um, so for me, I think uh I really wrote and created um the outsiders as a love letter to them, yeah.
1: As I said, it's incredibly powerful to watch as a person of color. And when I mentioned, you know, those feelings of things I've forgotten, I think it speaks very much to the idea that it's not just about your lived experience and the way you see the world and the way you interact in the world, but the way the world sees you and the expectation that that has. And sometimes maybe for a lot of young black people, I think growing up with a bit of a either a chip on your shoulder or a feeling that you constantly have to almost prove people wrong before they've even you know your work has to speak for itself or as you said before you speak to them or before they know who you are or why you're there or what you're there to do there's there's a yeah a bit of a barrier that you you may be even when you have success and even for some of the people in the, the outsiders who've had incredible success you know we might see limited versions of them you know on tv or in in when they're uh playing in the world cup or we see limited versions of them. And I think what was so amazing for me watching the outsiders was seeing the whole person, seeing all of that person without them having to, yeah, change or or kind of win over the audience.
2: Yeah. I think that's in, in my shows. What I try and do is I try and create a safe space for people where they can come and talk openly, uh, knowing that, um, I'm not going to sensationalize anything that they say. Um, You know, people tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. uh, And, you know, it's like, we're able to tell those stories without them feeling compromised in any way. And that's really important. But I want to add one thing about the stories that I tell because um, all my shows are primarily about the black experience. But they're actually about the human experience, you know. And what I find with uh, my shows, um, they they're always critically end up as being critically acclaimed shows because journalists, white, middle-aged, middle-class journalists, uh, with the outsiders. I remember the first day of uh, of press, uh, we had this one guy from a a national broad uh, broadsheet. Um, and um we were we were on Zoom uh and uh the team were sat on, you know, in the background with their monitors off and he came on and uh and one of my team uh texted me, went, Oh god, right? <laughs> like what are we what are we gonna have here? And this guy was like faffing around with papers and he was like, right, okay. I was sent to write a preview of this show, but then I asked for the other all six episodes to be sent to me because you blew my mind. And I was like, really, what happened? He was like, well, at the start of every episode, you ask questions. Your first question absolutely like, just had me reframing everything that I thought I knew about the world. And, and my first question was, was simply this, um, for those of you who haven't seen it... Um, the first question is, um, for all of my cast, uh, I ask them, um, so those of us who are not American, and those of you who are, know that uh, um, there is a residing tenant within the American Constitution, um, and that tenant gives us all hope. And it's basically, it asks the question, um, it, it says that all men are created equal. So my question to you is this, as black people, how has that worked out for you? Yeah, that was my question. Now, this journalist was like, that question blew my mind, because when, you, when I heard their answers and when I heard you ask the question, I realized that even as a white man, uh, the American Constitution wasn't even written for me yeah, it was written uh, for uh, an elite group of rich white men to benefit themselves. It wasn't written for any of us. Yeah. And that gave me such a clarity of thought about you know, what we think about racism, multiculturalism, division, all of these things that that, that, that has started that, given us this hope that we're all equal. Um, but we all know that that's not the game. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. If, if, you, if you haven't seen it already, then please do take the time to watch The Outsiders. It's, it's on YouTube. It's incredible. It's, I think they're about 25 to 30 minutes each each episode. There's six of them, and it's fantastic. I actually would think when my son's maybe a few years older, I'm going to really enjoy uh, watching that with him as well. So thank you for creating it and sharing it with us all. So I'm conscious of time, and I want to talk to you for ages, but I also want to take some audience questions as well. So I think before we do that, have a think about what you'd like to ask Simon. I've also got a few additional questions. But before we do that, I'd love to ask you, I guess, give you the opportunity even to share a bit about what you're going to be doing this year. I would certainly don't want to say, so what's next? (laughs) Um, But if there is something that you can share with us, then I'm sure we'd all love to hear what Simon is working on.
2: Okay, so you mentioned earlier that, um, that I have the largest collection of uh, African and Caribbean sitters in the National Portrait Gallery. Um, so the National Portrait Gallery is reopening in April, June? That was, it's opening in the first... It's in June, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, And um, so some of those portraits will actually be... I mean, the portraits are in the permanent collection... Uh, which I call the Kings and the collection of the Kings and Queens. Um, so it's a really important collection. Um, so those portraits will be on permanent display at the National Portrait Gallery, which I think is a huge honour to my mother. Um, you know, she unfortunately passed away before she could see that happen, but I'm sure she's watching down and very proud. Um, There's currently an exhibition um, at the Watts Gallery. Watts was the very famous uh, portrait painter from the Victorian era. And um, uh, some very bright curator decided to take 12 of my portraits uh, and combine them with seven of Watts's um, portraits. Uh, And they are currently on exhibition until March. Um, So get down there and see that. Um, I'm directing my first play this year. Um, I am, yeah, I've always wanted to direct a play. I think as a director, it's really important that I understand about theatre and, you know, really kind of like hone my skills as a director. Um, The play's going to be called uh, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Uh, It's the untold stories of uh, black women with breast cancer. uh, And it's going to be a very powerful play. And that comes out uh, at the end of April. Going to be making more television uh, and uh, doing a few art exhibitions as well. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Simon. We'll uh, make sure we share all the information of all the different places we can see you, because it sounds like it's going to be a busy year, hopefully with some rest as well.
2: Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. Great. Okay, well, I'm going to pick one of mine before I go to audience questions. Uh, So one of my kind of quickfire, I suppose, questions would be, what is something that you wish more people knew about you? Quickfire. That's actually a really hard question (laughs) to answer quickly.
2: (laughs) That's not a (laughs) quickfire question. Um... I I don't know because there's so much about my, my wife always says that um, that I don't I don't really allow people to know that much about me, um, so I I don't know I mean it's it's like there's there's so many things that people want to know like where I get my clothes where I get my <laughs> shoes where I get my trainers you know um,
1: the skincare yeah.
2: skincare do I do I live here all the time do I live in LA as well you know it's like there's so many things um yeah you know what camera lens do I use you know it's like what's there, there are so many different things it's like yeah that's a very difficult quick fire question okay.
1: <laughs> okay thank you so much Simon I have thoroughly enjoyed this I don't know how long it's been but it feels like five minutes and I feel like I could talk to you again and again and again I'm sure everybody here will join me in thanking you for being such an incredible guest today